preface and part one of chapter one of my days and dreams by edward carpenter this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by sue anderson preface old st pancras churchyard even now though dominated by the huge gasometers of the wharf road and backed against the roaring traffic of the midland railway preserves something of the sylvan beauty which a hundred years ago made it the frequent trysting place of percy shelley and mary godwin as it happened in the summer of eighteen ninety when staying in london i used to make the garden my resort for writing purposes and one day in july of that year i started some autobiographical notes in a very casual way and with long intervals between the notes have been continued down to the present time the volume therefore to which this is the preface has been composed in somewhat disjointed fashion and the discerning reader will probably perceive slight differences of style and outlook in its different portions and perhaps also experience some uncertainty as to the proper chronology of the events which it records in order to mitigate the latter trouble i have from time to time inserted in square brackets the date of the year in which the corresponding portion was written edward carpenter may nineteen sixteen chapter one brighton my life hitherto seventh july eighteen ninety divides into four pretty distinct periods first my early life up to the age of twenty during which time i lived mainly at brighton embedded in a would-be fashionable world which i hated secondly the period from sixty-four to about seventy-four during which time i was mostly at cambridge in a more or less intellectual atmosphere thirdly from seventy-four to eighty-one when i carried on the extension lectures and made acquaintance with the manufacturing centres and commercial society of the north of england and fourthly for the ten years from eighty and eighty-one down to the present time when i have lived almost entirely among the working masses and been largely engaged in manual labour it may seem ungrateful to say so but my abiding recollection of early days is one of discomfort not but that i had on the whole good times at school in the classes and in the games not but that at home i was lapped in the ease and attentive service of a well-to-do household and had a hundred advantages denied to an ordinary child of the people but that after all at home i never felt really at home perhaps i was unduly sensitive anyhow i felt myself an alien 
an outcast a failure and an object of ridicule the social life which encircled us at brighton was artificial enough but it was the standard which we children had to live to my parents were the best people in the world but they could not fly out of the conditions in which they belonged i hated the life was miserable in it the heartless conventionalities silly proprieties but i never imagined it never occurred to me that there was any other life to be pursued by the dread of appearances what people would say about one's clothes or one's speech to be always in fear of committing unconscious trespasses of invisible rules this seemed in my childhood the normal condition of existence so much so that i never dreamed of escaping from it i only prayed for a time when grace might be given me to pass by without reproach i was never a daring or rambustious child timid and sensitive my spirit was sadly lacking in the inestimable virtue of revolt i suffered and was stupid enough to think myself in the wrong there was a curate at one of the churches to which we used to go a smooth-haired carefully shaven meek young man probably of feeble mind but all i knew was that people praised him such a good-looking well-mannered fellow he was and preached such nice sermons happy mr cass i used to think for even now i remember his name oh happy mr cass if only i could be like you when i grow up i was then about fourteen and i fancy that the mere sight of cass in his spotless surplice must have worked upon me for it was about that time or a little later that i began to make up my mind to take orders no doubt from the first there was a fatal bias towards religion i remember distinctly and it must have been about the same period thinking as i lay awake in bed at night that if the house were on fire i would save my prayer book i saw myself in my mind's eye in heroic attitude rushing into my mother's room where the sacred volume lay and bearing it out through flames and smoke into the street it was not my mother or sisters that i was going to save but my prayer book alas what a defect of nature or of teaching must have been there curious the covered underground life that some children lead i never remember all those years at brighton till i was nineteen or twenty a single person older than myself who was my confidant i do not remember a single occasion on which in any trouble or perplexity i was able to go to any one for help or consolation 
my mother firm just and courageous as she was and setting her children an heroic example belonged to the old school which thought any manifestation of feeling unbecoming we early learned to suppress and control emotion and to fight our own battles alone in some ways a good training but liable in the long run to starve the emotional nature masters at school in those days did not draw boys out education was mainly a nipping of buds older friends outside the family who may so often play a useful part in the development of boy or girl life never came that i remember to the rescue and so my abiding recollection of all that time is one of silent concealment and loneliness nevertheless of course there were joys though a townhouse is not a congenial nursery for a child yet we were comparatively fortunate there was a large space at the back where we kept in succession endless pets pigeons seagulls with clipped wings rabbits tortoises guinea pigs and smaller fry i was especially fond of an aquarium while in front was the large garden of brunswick square overrun despite the efforts of the gardener and other authorities by all the children of the surrounding houses a fearfully active family boys and girls we kept a sort of proud superiority over the other children in running races prisoners base etc while inside the house and for wet weather we had a sport entirely our own and which consisted in one pursuing the others up the front stairs and down the back stairs or vice versa with endless shrieks and uproar a terrible affair which nothing but the noblest self-sacrifice could have ever nerved our parents to endure also there was hide-and-seek in the dark a grisly game dangerous both to limbs and to furniture and occasionally a battle of the giants as when on one occasion an elder sister having with the greatest care built up a beautiful dummy man round a long smooth pole my eldest brother came on the sly and drew the backbone out then there was earth-shaking conflict which i quite a small boy witnessed from a distance and with quaking limbs as to school life i suppose it is a general experience that what one learns at school does not count for much at the age of ten i began at the brighton college my eldest sister had taught me a little latin grammar before that my eldest brother charlie was already at the college he was a kind of hero there at that time or possibly a year or two later he was easily first in everything in mathematics classics foreign languages in cricket football athletics no matter what it was he took all the prizes withal 
he was so friendly so sociable that he was a universal favorite so generous and so humorous so naturally full of fun and comedy that i really think he disarmed all jealousy in others nor felt a spark of jealousy or vanity in himself seldom i should think has there been such a boy and when at the age of nineteen or twenty he took his final leave in order to join the indian civil service his memory lingered long and long behind him in the school my reception under those circumstances was naturally favorable one day shortly after my arrival i was playing by myself in a corner of the entrance hall when a big boy with a pleasant face came up to me and making a suitable gesture said sweep up the chips sweep up the chips then i knew that my nickname was chips a family nickname indeed since my father and my brothers at different times bore it the college was a large school of one hundred fifty or two hundred boys on public school lines i went through the classes in due order from the lowest upwards and the personality of each master in turn impressed its unconscious weight upon me i remember distinctly the agonized effort and the triumph of passing the ass's bridge in euclid the name of the master who got me over was newton and for some years i firmly believed that he was no other than the celebrated sir isaac i joined in the games and athletics and not without success though i was never very partial to cricket i climbed slowly up through the classes i rubbed shoulders with all the queer red-haired pock-marked fat lean mean generous handsome clever tyrannical cross-eyed gentle good-natured specimens of fellow humanity the other boys whose influence on one at that age is so strange and incalculable and whose characters and deeds appear at the time so mysterious and inexplicable though when one looks back upon them at a later date they seem transparently clear and simple i cannot remember anything very heroic that i did though i can remember some mean things i remember joining with the others in teasing the french master that ever defenceless quarry and i remember what was much worse taking a kind of delight in privately tormenting an idiot boy that was indeed a strange experience i don't know why the boy was allowed in the school he was certainly quite weak-minded and incapable and besides there exhaled from him an odd and fearsome odor that boy convulsed me with alternate rage and pity at one moment i was seized with the greatest sympathy for his weakness and the next i was filled with wrath at his odor and his idiocy and found or invented excuses for slapping him then after that i would sometimes lie awake at night remorseful over my conduct 
and planning little schemes of reparation but in the morning the sight of him would launch me on the waves of irritation again it was quite a little tragedy to me and i mention it because this savage and instinctive dislike of anything malformed which is so very marked in boys no doubt accounts for much of their cruelty it remains in the mind of course to a much later age but is gradually covered over by the growth of sympathy and understanding as a rule my better deeds were done in defence of the weak timid for the most part i regained my courage on these occasions as in delivering a small boy from a big bully or once in sticking up for two brothers the dirtiest and most stupid boys in the class against the jibes of the master or another time in helping a poor man in the street with his bundle on which last occasion the said sir isaac newton passing by instead of scolding me as i expected actually said that's right my boy a remark for which i felt ever so grateful to him for indeed i was feeling rather ashamed of myself i think that was about the only occasion on which a master exercised any directly helpful influence schools were odd places in those days the idea of really reaching the boy and drawing out his interest seems never to have occurred to the masters when i arrived in the sixth form the headmaster was a certain dr griffith a burly headstrong muddle-headed perhaps rather good-natured man as often as not he would arrive in the classroom late with his hair a-tumble and looking as if he had not slept all night would complain that some naughty boy in the fourth form was preoccupying his mind and would leave us again alone with our books then presently his study door would open and he would push the said boy into the room saying i wish one of you gentlemen would cane this boy and throwing a cane in over the boy's head would close the door again once drawing a handful of silver and gold out of his pocket he asked me to cane a boy for him and afterwards i felt sorry i had not accepted the bargain i think he must have been a little touched in the head it is certainly aggravating to think that we used to read homer and virgil and the greek plays and never that i remember was any attempt made to make us understand the subject or the plot or the literary interest of these works nothing but grammar and syntax as to mathematics the neglect was worse and i left school at eighteen or nineteen having done nothing beyond euclid and algebra my record in the classes was on the whole i suppose good though nothing remarkable i gained the usual number of prizes and kept about an equal interest in classics and mathematics with regard to the former my father who had progressive ideas on such subjects 
gave me a word-for-word word crib to horace saying that the best way to learn a language was to use such a crib naturally after that i rejoiced in it freely in my preparation work at home of an evening but one day i could not resist taking it to school and showing it to some of my classmates of course we were pounced upon and the crib confiscated the form master at that time was e c hawkins a really fine type of man father of anthony hope hawkins the novelist but when he asked me where i got the crib from and i replied quite truthfully and simply my father gave it me he was struck dumb he certainly thought i was lying but could make no reply and for a long time after that would hardly speak to me cricket i never took too much being a bad player i voted it slow probably it gave too much rope to my dreamy tendencies and i got into trouble missing unexpected catches but hockey and football i was fond of and fives as being more lively when i was about thirteen an event important to us children happened which i must not pass by my parents determined to spend a year in france and they actually transported the whole household nine children that is all except my brother charlie and two servants to versailles i remember only too well that awful night journey by new haven and dieppe the raging sea the arrival drenched the dim lights of the custom-house the cries of lost children the journey by train to paris and onwards how my mother survived it i do not know we settled in a house in the avenue de sioux amid barracks and continual fanfaronades and trampings of military near the great palace with its endless galleries and the park with its fountains and music all very exciting and delightful and we found some good and friendly french neighbors at first they did not the least understand our household it never occurred to them for a moment that it was all one family and for some time it was supposed that my father and mother kept a school but when the truth at last dawned upon them their delight and amazement knew no bounds and we became the centre of the greatest interest i and my younger brother alfred went as day-boys to school at the lycee Auch, then imperial a great place of five hundred boys where we learned french by sheer necessity i do not think we learned much else in the matter of lessons the instruction was much on a par with that at the brighton school and the playground life and social organization of the boys were far less pregnant of good influences end of part one of brighton